I'm Erica Herz with the Batten Institute at the UVA Darden School of Business, and today we're in the studio with the authors of a study titled The Economic Impact of Entrepreneurial Alumni, a Case Study of the University of Virginia. This very ambitious project by Mike Lennox, Andrew King, and Asif Mahedi from Darden, as well as Charles Easley from Stanford University, investigated the entrepreneurial activities and related economic impacts of UVA alumni. It's one of the most comprehensive surveys completed on such entrepreneurial alumni at a major public university. Thanks to all of you for coming to talk about it today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Mike, let's start with you. Tell us about the genesis of this study. So the study grew out of a series of conversations that Chuck Easley, one of the report co-authors and also a, a Batten fellow, and I had had about two previous studies that he had done, one at MIT and one at Stanford. And in both those institutions, as you might imagine, very entrepreneurial, very innovative, and also embedded in these very rich entrepreneurial ecosystems out in Boston and in Silicon Valley. So we had a question of, what about a public university like the University of Virginia, sitting here in Charlottesville, Virginia? Would we see similar types of impacts that they had seen in their studies. So that then led us down this path to look at UVA as a case study of a public university sitting here in a smaller town, not in the middle of Silicon Valley, and to see what were the impacts of our alumni on entrepreneurial activity. And what did you find? So I think uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, the numbers are at least within the ballpark and consistent with what we saw at Stanford and MIT, which I think is a little bit of a surprise, again, given that we're not located in one of these uh, large hotbeds of entrepreneurial activity. Uh, in part, we see that it's because our alumni spread out. They go to places all around the world. I think it was really interesting to see the geographic impact that these alumni have had in terms of starting uh, new ventures. But we also saw similarly the localization effect that they had saw in both the MIT and Stanford studies that a lot of these alumni entrepreneurs actually do stay within the Commonwealth of Virginia, in fact, even within Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. So some of the similar patterns we saw in those other ecosystems actually replicated themselves here in, in Charlottesville and with UVA. The study goes into many different specific findings, mm -hmm. but among those, were there any that really surprised you? Well, one of the things we did is that we took the data that we had and we extrapolated out to an estimate for the entire population of, of UVA alums. Something similar had been done for the MIT and Stanford studies. And once again, what was interesting is the, the breadth of the different ventures that were created, the volume, and then the economic impact, the number of jobs created, uh, the revenues created, the dollars brought into local economies as a result of these entrepreneurial alums. Andrew, let's, let's turn to you. For the sake of other researchers who might embark on such a project, how did you even begin to tackle this? We had the benefit of Chuck's, Chuck Easley's expertise, and he helped guide some of our basic decision-making. And because it is such a big project, we started off uh, talking with the expertise here in UVA. We have the Center for Survey Research, which is an institute that really helps run large and has expertise running large surveys. And through their help and, and guidance, we were able to create relationships with the Alumni Association and begin designing out a set of questions that are going to get to a really broad array of, of ideas. It was really challenging because we were talking trying to talk to over 230,000 people. How do you engage that many people to actually answer our survey and give us a large amount of data? 
and how do you do that technologically? So there were many, many questions that we had to answer immediately that were very important to creating a successful survey. What was the response rate to the survey? We were fortunate to have 16.8% of the people reached actually responded to the survey. That's very strong. We were hoping for more, but we're very pleased with that. I think one of the challenges of a survey like this is we wanted to be able to sample not only those who had pursued entrepreneurial ventures, but those who had not as well as a baseline comparison. So you're trying to devise a survey that is short and concise enough to get people to respond, and yet we're trying to capture a diverse array of behaviors and activities. And so how to kind of balance between the need for that diversity and the need to be concise so people actually respond to it was, was an ongoing challenge with the, with the survey. There's definitely survey fatigue out there, so mm. I can appreciate that challenge. And we, were, we ran many pilot studies, pilot uh, surveys, and tried to get res- see how people responded to that, and we revised again and again and again. We had several revision revisions of the survey, which was very enlightening, but it was also very time-consuming. And if you had to do it again, the, the part that you just described, which was challenging to tackle, is there anything that you would have done differently? Coming up with a really broad array of questions, trying to get a lot of information in this one shot, we, had really, we figured we only had one contact point with our alumni, and we had to get as much information as possible. And we were always trying to word things very carefully, and I think we might actually have overthought it a bit. I think we might have just been more successful had we asked what we wanted to know very quickly, very succinctly, rather than trying to really cater to everybody in this entire survey. That might have produced some interesting or increased uh, amount of response. I think one of the you know examples of the challenges you face is just simple things like industry classification. You know, what, what industry sector is your venture in? Actually, that's incredibly hard unless you want to have thousands of different categories for them to uh, respond to. So narrowing that down to a reasonable and representative set of industry sectors is as itself was a challenge. And so there's some levels of aggregation with the data that we wish we could have dug a little bit deeper. Um, you know, we can't separate out the number of social media companies versus number of green tech ventures. Um, it's just proved to be too difficult to kind of break it down that far. Well, Asif, turning to you, you've created an interactive website presenting the study's conclusions so that readers can better understand the results. Um, what was your approach on that, even including some of the technology that you employed? Sure. Uh, so as you said, my idea was to complement the paper briefing with a website to reach as broad an audience as possible for these very important survey findings. And uh, one of the desi- design choices I made up front was to use only open standards so that people with any browser on any device can access this uh, this website uh, without need for any additional plugin or software. And uh, I used uh, some open source uh, libraries and tools uh, in using this in, in creating this uh, this uh, website. A couple of them I would like to mention for the benefit of the listeners who are interested in uh, data visualization, one is d3.js, a JavaScript library, and I encourage the listeners to uh, check out d3.js.org where the creator Mike Bostock has posted some amazing uh, data visualization works of his, many of which appeared on New York Times where he works. 
Uh, apart from that, I've also used Cube, which is the front-end uh, framework uh, in order to make the website responsive to all kinds of uh, screen sizes. And I also used uh, some tools uh, like Git, and uh, I, I used GitHub as my repository. And uh, listeners who are in the academia, academia would uh, be happy to know that GitHub provides uh, free or discounted uh, subscription to students and researchers, and this is a great platform for especially collaborative uh, software development or uh, the kind of website I, I developed. Well, the tools clearly worked. It's a beautiful website. Thank you. Mike, coming back to you, what do you see are the ramifications of this work? I, I think thinking broadly, there's a lot of questions about the value of higher ed that people are asking in the general public sphere questions about the cost of tuition, questions about, uh, especially at public universities, state support for universities. And I think it's not surprising that most uh, people, when they think about universities, think about educating 18-year-olds coming out of high school, and that's clearly an important and critical and central activity that universities engage in. But I think we need to recognize there are numerous ways that universities create value. So we just looked at one little slice here, which again is the entrepreneurial activity of our alumni. But again, the numbers are, are phenomenal when you think about the investment from the state side in terms of UVA and higher education and what they get as a result of that in terms of job creation, economic growth, and the result of those entrepreneurial activities. I think particularly interesting in UVA's context to me was the fact that we see out-of-state students, students who come to the Commonwealth to UVA for their education and stay and start businesses here. And that's a powerful mechanism that I think we don't always recognize as a way that by having a world-class university here in the Commonwealth, it creates economic value for the state by attracting that talent. Harder for us to discern, but I think there might also be the ability to retain talent as well. You know, how many students would go to colleges outside of uh, the Commonwealth if they didn't have an opportunity like UVA? And would they end up starting ventures in those areas? Because again, what we saw from the MIT and Stanford study is that they tend to stay very local. If you go to MIT, you start businesses in, in Boston. If you go to Stanford, you start businesses in Silicon Valley. So there, there's the spillover value that we have from our educational efforts through these wonderful activities that our alumni engage in post, post-graduation. And given those important conclusions, would you want to conduct any follow-on research? Or if you did, what, would, what questions would you ask? Oh, great question. So I, I think um, there's a lot of interesting questions about the life cycle of, of uh, entrepreneurship in terms of when people pursue. There was some data, interestingly, in there about how actually older uh, alumni were more likely to start businesses, which is surprising given our uh, kind of public perception of entrepreneurs being 22-year-olds and the like. In fact, there's been other studies as well that have found this as well, that this is actually consistent with other work that's been done. So thinking through as someone moves through their career, when do they start to pursue entrepreneurial ventures? When do they start uh, these new ventures up? Is an interesting one that we only took a snapshot in time. And so if we could do some what we call longitudinal studies where we repeat it over again and see that evolution, I think we could really tease out some interesting facts about, again, who's more likely to become entrepreneurial, why, and maybe what are the levers to which to get more people to start businesses and create jobs and the like. Well, I hope to see that research going forward. Mike, Andrew, and Asif, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.